What if everything you're searching for is already inside of you? Hi, I'm Cassandra Goodman, and I believe that true power comes from staying connected to who we really are at our core. This is a podcast about what it means to stay true to ourselves and why authentic leadership is such tricky business. You'll hear inspiring real life stories from big hearted leaders. I hope these stories help you to remember that true power comes from within. So today on True Power, I have the pleasure of speaking with Leanne Holdsworth. Welcome, Leanne. Thanks, Cassandra. (laughs) I was actually, I was then, I was like, I've read you like to be called Cassie. So then I was hesitating. (laughs) Cassie (laughs) is great. Let's go with Cassie. That is perfect. Yeah, Cassie, let's go with Cassie. I, I often, when I say Cassie, people think I say Kathy, which is why I say Cassandra, but you know it's Got not. it. <laughs> so welcome, Leanne. So uh, Leanne and I met many years ago at a thriving workplace event before COVID. And then recently, Leanne reached out on the wonderful world that is LinkedIn, one of my all-time favorite platforms. Leanne reached out on LinkedIn to let me know that she'd just written her second book and we've, we've uh, reconnected uh, and so of course when I read this second book which is called Human Work we'll talk about that more in a second I just absolutely had to invite Leanne onto this podcast because I feel like there's so much we can talk about and unpack but before we do that a bit more about Leanne so Leanne stands for a future where it is normal for work environments to be places where human beings thrive enabling organizations to succeed and building social capital through how those humans are able to show up with their families and communities. I just love that. Leanne is a co-author of Human Work, Five Leadership Mindsets for Humanizing Workplaces. She's also the author of the book, A New Generation of Business Leaders. And Leanne has spent 15 years advising organizations about how to become more human She has a passion for integrating the cognitive with the non-cognitive and often infuses her work with embodied practices. I'd love to touch on that too. Uh, And Leanne calls Auckland, New Zealand home. So once again, welcome, Leanne. What else do you think is important to share in in regards to your background and who you are? Well, Cassie, I I can't go past, of course. Um, Before any of that, I am a mother of three children. Uh, 24, 20, and 14, and they bring me the greatest joy. Beautiful. And are they all still at home with you or are they out in the world? Uh, you know, this generation that they, I don't, I can't keep track if they're at home or if they're not. Um, <clears throat> one of them and her partner, they live in Christchurch, which is a fair way from Auckland. So um, they tend to, you know, not be living at home. The others are at home, but their intention, they tell me next year, is to come home while they save to buy a house. So who knows? <laughs> well, I can't imagine. My boy's only 9 and 11, so that's a whole nother, like, oh, yeah. level for me to think about my boys out anyway. But we're, we're here to talk about this idea of being true to ourselves, the tricky business of authenticity, and, of course, in amongst all that, why so many workplaces have become dehumanizing places for so many and how we help to make work more human and uh, when I read your uh, second book Leanne I was so um, 
relieved, I suppose is a word, to hear you talk about workplaces that embrace all the different parts of us and this role of embracing all our different parts and aspects of self, the role that plays in feeling like we belong, um, feeling seen and heard and respected. And so I'm really looking forward to unpacking some of that with you in this conversation as well. I'm delighted to be able to share this conversation with somebody who cares about humanizing our workplaces as much as you do. Thank you. So we we start with the question that we always start with in my podcast, and we're going to see where that takes us. And so, Leanne, I'd love to invite you to share a story or a moment in your life when you realized that you weren't being true to yourself. Yeah. I mean, the question is which one to share, right? I guess all your guests have this problem. I, I think I'll take the liberty of sharing a pattern uh, of this that I notice over my life, and then I might share a specific one. So a pattern that I notice for me is that I often find myself, when I'm talking about human work, really leaning into the business case and talking about why it's great for the organization. And the thing is, that is not why I do this work. Why I do this work is what I really care about is if we can create environments for human beings to really thrive at work, what that means in terms of our social capital in the world, right? Like what it means in terms of who they go home as to be their best their best selves as being parents and partners or contributing members of society. Like we've got this opportunity to really unlock the, the power of our organizations to really contribute to social capital out there. So I get pretty excited when I talk about that. But what I notice in the face of uh, prospective clients is I really kind of put myself in a bit of a box and I speak into what I consider to be their listening for um, why this stuff matters. And I go straight to why it's important to the organization. Now, you know, like there's some uh, pragmatism about that. Like I really hold it as a polarity, you know, like being true to myself and yet also needing to, to be able to be heard. So I need to hold those both, both of those things. But I often feel this icky, uncomfortable feeling that I've lent too far into um, what is kind of mainstream and I'm I'm selling the message too short right so I hear I hear that in myself mm. and I I've heard it for years and years and years and as a consultant um yeah the older I get the less tolerant I am of trying to have the message be um you know more pal palatable so I'd say that one haunts me and I work with it all the time. Um, and then I would say that like a really specific one, which is was really the, the most fundamental moment in my career was as a chartered accountant, which is, is what I trained for. I, I After four years of working in the corporate sector, um, having done all this work to get your chartered accounting kind of gear and became the young chartered accountant of the year and playing the game beautifully. But there was this one morning when I went to get in the lift to go up to whatever floor it was for work this morning. And I had this feeling like I was leaving most of myself in the lobby and taking a little bit of myself up in the lift with me. And 
it had this feeling had been with me for like ages I don't know a year maybe but it just became really clear that that's what it was I could really feel it in me and I realized that this was just an untenable situation for me and I resigned that day and I'd spent seven years training to do this. And I just thought, oh, the corporate sector's just not for me. I, I mean, clearly it's something about me. And so here I am, like for the year before that, really not speaking my truth, knowing there's something, but not being able to articulate it. And then roll the clock forward a couple of years and I we I went ran away my husband and I went and bought some land down in central Otago by Queenstown and we started a bed and breakfast and you know I was right the corporate world's completely behind me but um sometime in the in the couple of years after that Johnson and Johnson used to run these values-based leadership forums and somehow I ended up going to this Australasian leadership forum and being exposed to some values-based leaders uh, Michael Rennie was there uh, and I'm like struggling to think of others, but Michael really did make um, a big impression. Mike, Michael was at the time, he was Australia, New Zealand director for McKinsey. Uh, and they were talking about the ways in which they were creating more human work environments. And I was in the room with 80 other 22 to 32 year olds. And I had this moment of realizing that what I had experienced two years earlier was not personal, it was systemic. And that I needed to spend the rest of my life somehow making a difference to the, our workplaces so that other humans could actually take all of themselves in the lift in the morning to work uh, for the sake of our mental health, for the sake of our organizations, for the sake of our families and our communities. Oh, uh, goosebumps throughout multiple moments in that incredible journey. So, so many questions, where should we begin? <laughs> I think my first question, if you could take us back to that day that you resigned, mm. I think I wrote in my first book something like along the lines of, you know, when people say it's okay to bring your whole self to work, mm. I often wonder, well, before you said it was okay, what part of me was I not able to bring to work? And often I think it's our hearts, right? I, I sometimes joke that yeah. we come into the office and we're, we have to lock our hearts in the locker downstairs before we go up yeah. to work. Yeah. Because yeah. to say it's okay to bring your whole self to work, even the fact we have to say that indicates that before we said it, it wasn't okay. And so what part... <laughs> Do we, do we right? right? Yeah, it's it's a little bit like, you know, women can do anything. <laughs> oh, we have to say that. <laughs> yeah, right. What are we, yeah, what are we offsetting or what are we repairing in that? And so I think so many of us, including myself, can really relate to this feeling, I cannot bring my whole self to work. And actually there's research that says most people say they can't bring their whole selves to work. Uh, that the most vulnerable parts of ourselves we have to lock away from for safekeeping or the most vulnerable parts of ourselves are not welcome because they're you know inconvenient and messy mm -hmm. <laughs> unpredictable mm -hmm. um they're not machine-like you know which is what often we we organizations think is what is needed and so my question is really where did you find the strength like help us just kind of walk us through in slow motion between this epiphany and the lift and the moment you handed in your resignation mm. because for 99% of people, the, what happens between those two moments of the epiphany 
and what happens next is 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 not it's not the resignation but more well I've just got to double down I, I just need to try harder or, yeah. or perhaps the other path I just need to numb this feeling it's too painful I've invested so much I can't possibly walk away so what do you think what was inside of you that gave you that courage to say this is not sustainable for me and I, I need to walk away Yeah. So two things come to mind. One is the way we talk to our children. Uh, and the other is uh, I I was married. And one of my wedding vows to my husband, which in six months time, we've been married for 30 years, was that we would support each other to be the best versions of ourselves that we could be. And so over that year before that moment of getting in the lift and like having this embodied feeling of intolerability, I'd been talking around it with my husband who was really, um, we, you know, we have so actively lived that marriage vow of, so what would serve you to be the best version of yourself right now? So we had, he really supported me in a long-term conversation about that, about like, can I, can I step into the next phase? You know, I was an overachiever. I was like the partnership route was just like right in front of me. Is there a way I can step in and then feel bolder? You, you know, like, I think the value of having somebody right next to me who believed in me and supported me in that best version of myself way whether it's a coach or whether it's a best friend or whether it's a life partner like I was fortunate enough to have I think that that feels really important to me um, and the other thing that really impacted me was just the way yeah the way we talk to our children you know like I I, I grew up in a house where I was told girls can do anything and I'm 53. So, you know, for the time, that's probably a reasonable thing, thing to be saying. Um, and, and I, I had, uh, I, I felt a lot of pressure. Like my father would say to me, not only girls can do anything, but you can be the prime minister if that's what you want. Like anything is possible. And so I think there was, there has always been in me, Cassie, this just really deep, grounded sense of um, I mean, I've just got so much insecurity as well, but there's just some kind of pole that runs through me that grounds me, uh, that it feels like harks back to that messaging that I heard as a child that I think is just super powerful for us to remember when we're talking to our children. Mm, so powerful and beautiful and and as you're speaking there, Leanne, what comes to mind is something I heard the singer Jewel recently say in a podcast. She said that when we try to tolerate the intolerable, we become sick. Mm. And I'm also wondering as you speak about the power of this embodied practice because that you bring so naturally because you know, so many of us are disconnected from our bodies. So many of us are taught, you know, to soldier on with codrill and to take something to numb the pain. If it's not some sort of drug, then it's a glass of wine or a beer. Yeah, you know, we're, we're so disconnected 
from our feelings and we're conditioned to believe that this discomfort needs to stop, not that the discomfort is a signal, a warning signal that something needs our attention. And so I'm also wondering as you're in that lift and you, you know, as you tell that story, it seems to be very much an embodied, a message from your body. Le- Leanne, this is not tolerable. That this environment is, is not sustainable to life. You know, it's not, we can't, this is in, intolerable if we want to thrive and, and to be all we can, all we want to be and to be the best version of, of yourself. And so, do you do you sense that that this connection you had to your body was, was also played a role in you really heeding that message? I would like to say yes, and I feel like a complete baby, a complete toddler, maybe, um, in terms of listening to the messages of my body. Um, I think it was probably quite a cognitive thing that just hit me in my body uh, at, at that time because even since then, I mean, I'm just way too well-practiced uh, at pushing through and getting it done and, you know, all of that stuff that goes with, um, I don't know, being a, a working mother and uh, and working for myself for so many years. So I don't think I've always been good at it. It's only been... I would say in the last, I don't know, 10 years that I've even started to acknowledge that this exists. And it's really deeply related to my own uh, spiritual practice too. Um, I love the story in Your Being True about get it going and getting the tattoo. Like that was the moment for you. And I remember my birthday about, it was about 10 years ago, uh, and I went to this beautiful island in Auckland called Waiheke Island, and I dropped the kids off at school, and I had to pick them back up again at half past three, and so I'd gotten on the ferry, and I was spending my birthday on Waiheke Island, but by the time I got to Waiheke, I was a bit stressed, you know, I was like, how am I going to do, like, I've really come here to do some planning for the next year, that's what I've come to do. So how am I going to get my next year planned and get back on the boat and get the children and, you know, like some stuff to get a anxious and here's me wanting to spend this beautiful day <laughs> on this gorgeous island. And it, as I as I walked up to the first beach, only Roa Beach, um, I sat down and over, I was overlooking the beach. You know, my cognitive part of me was just like on overdrive. Okay, right. So uh, I wonder if I, if, if I could just... And I started doing a bit of business planning and a bit of strategy in my mind. And this this flax flower plant was just opening in front of me. Like it was there, it was a massive big, but all of a sudden I noticed it. Like I hadn't even been seeing the beautiful beach and everything around me, but this big flax plant was right there. And for some reason I noticed it. And there was a moment in me that went, ah, I think I have to do it all, but actually there's this unending amount of energy and love all around me. I I just need to relax into it or something. I didn't really know what, but I just had this sense of relief that actually there's one pathway that had worked for me really well up until then, which was just do it and plan it and get it all done. And then there was something else that started to open in front of me, which was a bit like, 
what if I don't know like maybe I have I get maybe I don't think I have to do it all on my own what if I could be the vehicle or something of some energy that might be able to flow through me or something I don't know what it was um and that has really been an unfolding path for me in the last 10 years where um what I my access to my embodied wisdom uh, feels like it's come from kind of me being at the center and having to kind of do everything to relaxing into actually what if I could both use my smarts of getting things done but at the same time have an intention and um, allow some unfolding as well and so my body feels like a, it's it's a communicator for me in some way with that so I have some practices I have a coach who's an embodied coach who helps me um, know recognize in my body what it feels like when I'm really clear about something and when I'm less clear about something and so I as I say I'm a, I'm a baby about this but I feel like it's really unlocked something in me that's had me be able to breathe out a bit more. Mm, that's beautiful what an incredible story and you know I I think you're you call yourself you know you're just beginning but I, I would venture to say you're further along the path than most of us right who haven't I think for most of us we're still caught up in that belief system that discomfort in the body can only be bad discomfort in the body you know I'll 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 um most sensible response is to numb it or push it down or make it to stop make it stop which is how we're conditioned I had a I had a yoga teacher once who used to say we're all just heads on sticks we're just heads <laughs> on sticks no one can feel their body anymore uh, and so I I think yeah that certainly my understanding of internal family systems I think while I'm drawn to this modality perhaps after years of yoga is that our parts present first in the body you know, um, when we think about the different parts or aspects of ourselves, the 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 key question we always ask is, you know, where where do you feel it in your body? And so, you know, maybe it's a clenching of the jaw, maybe it's a tightening of the shoulders, maybe it's the furrowing of the brow, maybe it's the the lead in the stomach or the butterflies, um, or the clenching of the heart. Um, you know, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who studied this for 40 years, I think, you know, he he was the one to discover that 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 our body provides the gate, the gateway or the sig the signaling that there's some part of us that's activated that's calling for our attention. So yeah, I'm really fascinated. I think we could talk all, all day about this idea of the the embodied practice of self-leadership. Perhaps a, what I'd also love to unpack is I, I love the way you're thinking about the polarities, you know, the, mm. the polarities within you, that part of you, the maybe the accountant, little Miss Accountant who who mm. you know, wants to play by the rules of proving the business case in order because she knows quite logically that's the, the gets the wedge in the door, you know, gets the foot in the door. Um versus this part of you that that's you know maybe no no we need to be true to ourselves you know playing into this system of accounting what can't be put captured on a spreadsheet is you know playing with the very system we're looking to dismantle like I can really relate to that polarity um mm. and the push and pull of that the, the paradox of that 
and holding both aspects of self. Uh, I also really loved in your book that you shared that the organisation you work with, rather than just a, a simple list of values, did to talk about the paradoxes, the, the values that are in tension with each other. And I, I feel like this is also like such a sophisticated, more realistic way of thinking about, about the self that we are walking paradoxes. We are we have got so many parts that that seem to be polar opposites and and can be polarized and so that's a that's a lot a lot what i've just said but i think my question is you know what what have you figured out or what how do you think this is relevant to the conversation of of being true to ourselves this polarity and these seeming paradoxes that exist within within us what have you figured out about like embracing all of that and why why embracing our paradoxes both at an organizational level and an individual mm. human system level is so important? Mm. Beautiful, beautiful question. Um, I just want to just round off the conversation we we're just having about embodied because you helped me remember a couple of really clear signals that I had that I couldn't, I didn't recognize as warning signs at the time, but I'm going to say them just in case it help, helps any of our, your listeners, Cassie, just identify something in them. Um, my uh, part that my managing partner in, in, in when I left, he would answer the phone with his surname and I would just kind of like shiver, you, you know, like he'd pick up the phone and he'd, he'd say, well, if his surname was Holdsworth, he'd just say, Holdsworth. And I'd be like, uh, hello, hello, Mr. Holdsworth. Um, and, you know, it would kind of set me up and I could feel my bum muscles like, like tight, right? I could like, oh, like I can, I, I can remember this is where, where this is like 27 years ago, but I, I can just remember what that felt like. And so those little signs when something kind of clenches, even if it's your bum muscles, um, of like noticing that is just super helpful. And then I'd often find myself in his office explaining, you know, what was happening with a particular client. And I could feel this lump in my throat that was, was just like uh, wanting to, close down my voice you know and and so these signs are there if only we know that they're useful we can listen to them mm. yeah so let's talk about polarities and, and these paradoxes I'm, I'm I love that you've picked this up Cassie because um this question about where have we not been true to ourselves it seems to me like true to who <laughs> yeah true to which part and so every example that I was thinking about, because you helpfully give us this one question, and we know because we've listened to your podcast before, this is the question, um, is, is that every time I thought of a time that I hadn't been true to myself, I thought of the other side to that that was valid, right? And uh, and I've I've got... I've got these polarities listed here. I couldn't just tell the story, right? Each one of them had a had a polarity. And so one of the things that I've learned, um, and I've got to say, like almost everything I've learned about polarities, I've learned from my colleagues at Cultivating Leadership, which is the firm that I work with. Uh, and this idea, if you haven't come across working with polarities before, um, 
I highly recommend that you um, you have a just have a little dig around. Um, we've got some videos on our website about polarities. Uh, if you're interested, just short little videos. But um, what I've learned about them is that if we just hold one idea as the truth, <laughs> so often um, the nature of something that feels like the truth is in fact a polarity and we confuse it. And so if we, for instance, if we have a value um, and we go, well, it's all about belonging, right? We, we, we just want to make sure that everybody belongs. Or it's all about inclusivity. We've got to make sure that everybody feels inclusive. Actually, if we just hold that as the truth, we can end up with over-including, for instance. And so can we hold both including people uh, and allowing autonomy or independence. or And so every time I think about something that I care deeply about, I wonder about, is this a polarity? In other words, is it like one side of a two-sided coin? And if so, can I hold both of those? I know I've probably got a preference and that's fine, but if I'm blind to the fact that it is a paradox, then I'm flying blind in terms of kind of holding up the way, the truth and the light. And um, that doesn't help me with all the things that I can't see, all of my own blind spots and all the places where I might be wrong about things. So yeah, both as an organization, um, you know, for, for me and my work, when I'm in the room holding space as a facilitator, I'm often holding this polarity of warmth and competence. Mm -hmm. You know, like this idea of how can I be warm? And because this is really my natural style. And if I'm overly warm, what does that mean in terms of my competence? And then if I'm overly competent, what does that mean in terms of my warmth? So I find it just a really helpful way of managing myself and making sure that I don't fall into um, the trap of drinking my own Kool-Aid. <laughs> mm, I hear you on that. I think this is such um, a helpful and truthful conversation that most of us you know, avoid, right? Because it's inconvenient, these paradoxes, these polarities, these yes ands, they really muddy the waters, right? <laughs> it's oh, like, it's yeah. so much easier to have an either and all. Or, right, it's so much. And. What, we've got a whole two things? So much easier to say you're entirely wrong and I'm entirely right. right. Uh, uh, and as you're talking, you know, I have this little saying that I, I created after I left the corporate world, which for a large part, was a dehumanising experience, I think, in terms of this feeling I had, which was that these roles, no matter how senior and no, how, 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 no matter how big the responsibility is, these roles were really only tapping into, you know, a sliver of all I had to offer the world, all I wanted to offer the world, that, that I was harnessing a small sliver of myself but that sliver was de depleting rapidly was this feeling I had um and so when I left that world to start my own business which which is a form of polarity it was like kind of a rejection of the system I'm going to go and you know 
get out of the system and start my own business. I I was I, I still have this on my website, which is I choose to co-create with the curious rather try rather than try to convince the closed minded. Mm, I love that so much. <laughs> which is my preference. And as you're talking, I'm like, well, that's convenient to say, well, I'm not going to work with these leaders because yeah. they're closed minded. And yeah. I choose to co-create with the curious. Yeah. Yeah, and what and there's another and here, right? Which is and what serves you as well, right? Because we we can be so impact driven and we care about this stuff. And so actually, if I care about my own well-being and I care about making impact in the world, maybe what I do is I choose to work with the curious. And hold compassion for the closed-minded, the closed-hearted, because as we're talking about the the next layer of that, you know, I can see like I'm othering those ideas. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. To be closed-minded. Well, this actually takes me to um as I was as I was identifying these polarities when as I was preparing for this today, I I saw all these assumptions that I was holding in the polarity. Like one of one of the places of not being true was uh, let me just choose one. Um, uh, well, I, I was going to use another one, but just for the sake of time, let's just do this one about the business case, right? So I focus on the business case. So I'm holding both authentic, authentic. I'm being authentic to a part of me um, that is like the truth for me, and then I'm also holding this thing about being heard. Like, can, can people hear me? But I'm holding all these assumptions in this about, well, actually, maybe people can hear a whole heap more than I think they can hear. You know, like, these truths that I'm holding. And I think this is one of the beauties of, of thinking about things from a polarity lens is that it, it has you continue to ask, is that true? Mm. Is that true? Is there a part of me that can see that differently? Mm. Mm. Yeah, there's a beautiful chapter in Nancy Klein's book, The, the Promise That Changes Everything About Polarities. I, I can send you a link because I've just finished listening to how oh, Nancy does a beautiful job of unpacking those assumptions we make when we polarise. And as we're talking, what I'm realising that, you know, if I'm a woman, a leader that stands for this idea of restoring faith in who we are, restoring our connectivity to our true nature, Part of that true nature is that we are connected. You know, mm -hmm. we're connected and we're compassionate and we're curious. And so for me, you know, discounting mm -hmm. large proportions mm -hmm. of the population because of my judgment that you're close-minded mm -hmm. really is Beautiful. directly opposing what I say I stand for. So this is really challenged that that it's not that black and white, right? I I have a preference to co-create with the kids. It's energizing. And yet, can I hold space for understanding where that closed-mindedness, closed-heartedness comes from? Because ultimately it's a form of self-protection, right? It's Completely. not Love it's it. not a judgment of character. It's not that someone is is somehow lesser than these people. I don't know what they've been through and why they're having to shield their heart. Yeah, and we see this everywhere in society, don't we? It's so much easier for me to um, think about the perpetrator of a violent act 
right? And think about that perpetrator as a child whose needs weren't met. It's so much easier for me to, to really bring compassion to that person than to bring compassion to the place that I've been hurt most, uh, which is in the corporate space, if I want, if you know, I just want to put it in a box there, which is completely unreasonable and unfair, that I just notice that actually it's my fear that has me say I'm not, I'm actually, I, it's much harder for me to bring compassion to that leader that I see um, creating the conditions for a lack of psychological safety. You know, I can't bring that level of, I, of course I can, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not willing to kind of go to that place that has me face into that fear um, in a way that I can easily do it when I'm talking about it, bringing compassion to another group in our community. Mm. Mm. How interesting. What a fabulous conversation. That, you know, I think particularly that chapter uh, from your book, I mean, there's so much that's just pure gold in this book. But imagine what might be possible if all organisations didn't just have a list of values, but they had a conversation to talk about the tension between the values and, and the unspoken tension between what we say we stand for and, and what that really means in practice and who, who that might be excluding or othering or or in a way dehumanising. I, I, I really feel like in terms of that, that conversation about values, both at an organisational and individual level, this 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 next level of sophistication and like realism that you bring to that is is really profound. So perhaps we need to continue this conversation. It's certainly changed the way I think about values activation work, which is work I've done with several organisations and or, or I'm in conversation with one organisation about their values. And because of your book's influence, I'm, I'm also saying, and can you notice the tension between these values mm, you see beautiful. how inclusion um and pace perhaps are intention there and and so your book is already influencing my thinking to bring more human to help create more human work in in these more subtler more mm. subtler subtler a word in more subtle ways <laughs> you know something that wasn't quite sounding quite right yeah I mean and I think that that's the that would be the message that I would really want to leave your listeners with is this idea of humanizing our workplaces. We do so much in the space of employee engagement and experience. And if we can really hold the possibility of a future where our organizations are not just good at employee engagement, and they're not just thinking about employee experience, but actually can hold more of the whole of who we are as organizations in our communities and the power of that. I feel like that that can give us some access to using these mindsets that we've learned about. There is no five-step, 10-step process to humanizing your workplace, but there are some mindsets that if you can experience the tension of holding those mindsets can enable the curiosity to 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 experiment with the next thing mm. yeah the next thing in the direction of our workplaces being places where people humans can thrive to such a degree that they can go home in better form than when they came in in the morning mm. I love that and if I might add also to be able to 
illuminate and take that next step while while taking care of the parts of ourselves that are afraid, you know, that are afraid of being able labeled naive. Or, you know, you just don't understand how business works, sweetheart. What are you saying? <laughs> Which is my own fear. And I, I think I shared in, in the post when I shared your book, my own experience of trying to stand up for more human workplaces in the corporate world and using my voice to, to try to make a difference and having my manager at the time saying to me, Cassie, I don't know what sort of utopian world you dream about, but it doesn't exist. Go and work down the road for this bank XYZ and they will crush you like a fly. That's what he said to me. And so and so, how might we dig deep in those moments to find that courage to know that that's about them, it's not about us, and and to be able to keep going despite some of those heartbreaks because that was a heartbreaking moment for me. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, how might we dig deep and how might we be in conversation and community like these ones so that that we find the courage and draw on the strength to take that next step, even after moments of heartbreak like that? Yeah, and, and this is where community is so important, right? The podcast that you do, the the interviews that we do with our leaders on our website uh, that are sharing the, the the stories, the hard stuff, the the wins, um yeah I mean people are doing this all around the world we just um can't lose sight of it and we're not on our own no we're not on our own we're not alone uh we think sometimes we feel alone but we're never actually alone are we but there's so many brave pioneers out there um championing more human workplaces and I'm so glad that we we've been we've been on the te- same team for all these years and now we're 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 you know more and more aware of the work each of us are doing and so it's been an absolute pleasure Leanne to speak with you and thank you so much for all the wisdom that you shared I'm sure many listeners are going to come back to you and thank you for all that you shared so thank you so much thanks for the opportunity Cassie I loved our conversation By being true to our deepest selves, we liberate our highest potential and serve the greatest good. As the founder of the Center for Self-Fidelity, I am on a mission to help leaders feel more authentically empowered so we can co-create workspaces where people can thrive, perform, play and belong. Learn more at selffidelity.com.